Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have two very special guests. Really delighted to have them with me. They've looked into things that I've looked into to in Global Death Cult, which is the Order of Nine Angles, but also this new group that I didn't exist actually when I wrote my book called 764. And one goes by BX, the other's name is Ken Silva. And you can see his great journalism at Headline USA. I have it showing on YouTube and Rockfin and X right now. But he doesn't just write about this, but he's been writing about some of these sinister people who've cropped up recently. So this will actually be a very disturbing show. We're going to go into pedophilia, child abuse, and uh, satanic online groups and satanic groups. So I would not uh, have any young children in the background listening to this. And if you're sensitive to those subjects, don't listen at all. You shouldn't listen to this at all. But uh, a lot has happened. There was a guy, I think people saw this video of this young man, Kyle Spitz. It went viral, and it was a picture of his stepfather. They're all drunk or on some kind of drugs. But the stepfather is pointing a gun at him, literally shoots him in the ear or something. He's bleeding. And a lot of people saw that, but... It turns out, according to these guys' great research, is that the son is affiliated with the 764 group. But they could talk more about that. So BX and Ken Silva, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting yeah. us. Awesome. Yeah, thank so from, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Ken. Awesome. So maybe you can start, Ken. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your background. I know you wrote for the Epoch, Epoch Times. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your journalism and how you got into this subject. And then also, BX, I know that you are a child advocate and have uh, looked into some pretty dark places on the Internet. Maybe you could also explain that. And then we can look into this case of cosmic spits and go from there. Yeah, sure. Thanks for the opportunity. So I've been a just a straight news reporter for about 10 years. Uh, started working for the Epic Times in 2021 and got into the whole national politics scene uh, through through that newspaper. And I, I started looking into this Order of the Nine Angles and Satanic Cults. It kind of stems from a series of stories I did in 2022 about the Oklahoma City bombing and a undercover FBI operation to infiltrate right-wing groups called Patriot Conspiracy or PATCON. Um, and then last year, I continued that work with Headline USA, uh, doing a series that I call the Fed Files, which is kind of, um, so like we know about the Nazi movement around the Oklahoma City bombing, and then it kind of its resurgence around 2017 with the Charlottesville rally. Uh, the Fed Files fills in some of the missing history in the mid 2000s up to Charlottesville. And so the reason I got into O9A and these satanic cults, because there's a figure named Joshua Caleb Sutter, who was an O9A member, started a, an offshoot called Temple of Blood in the U.S. And he is tied to uh, both Pat Con from the 90s, and he's also tied to the Charlottesville rally and, and the, the Fed file stuff. And, you know, we, we can get into the details of, uh, of that later, but that's in a nutshell, that's that's how I got involved with these uh, bizarre stories. I started talking to BX maybe five or six months ago, and she's kind of the primary source for most of the raw data on this stuff. Um, but we've been collaborating, I guess, to maintain kind of her privacy 
I've been doing some of the, the public facing stuff like calling Kyle Spitz's dad and reaching out to police and, and things like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's my story in a nutshell. Awesome. And what about UBX? You, I've seen you work with kind of pedophile hunters online. If I'm, I, from what I saw today, mm-hmm. if that's correct, can you kind of go in detail about your background? Please? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I wouldn't call myself a pedophile hunter, but I have done a lot of advocacy work. Um, I started out on the Twitch platform just as like, you know, a 30 something year old mom wanting to like see what the kids were about these days. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of older people on Twitch, so it's not really that weird, but um, you know, I've always been a self-defense person. I've always been a self-defense instructor, a firearms instructor. So I've always been very self-defense minded. And um, when I started to kind of get into the online space and see, oh, well, like our kids are in a lot of danger and it's not actually people that, you know, you fight in the streets. It's actually creeps uh, hiding in the shadows online. And so I got kind of into this online safety thing. And um, and I'm also a, a licensed investigator, a private investigator in Texas. And so I guess I just naturally kind of look into things pretty deeply. Um, and that led me to kind of expose a, a really massive child predator ring on Twitch, which ended up being like, I think 300,000 kids were targeted by it. So it was like, uh, Bloomberg reported on it and it ended up being basically the beginning of the end for Twitch. And it was a really big deal. Um, it, it really hurt their company, um, when that got leaked. Um, and then, uh, I've worked a little bit with predator poachers. Yeah. Cause I mainly because I find these people online or people bring me these people online and I'm like, you know, the one, the one that I helped Alex Rosen with predator poachers with, he ended up being a cult leader, which I love, love cults, like love them as in like, I'm really interested in them and I've always been very interested in cults. So people bring me stuff that's strange and I look into that, you know, um, for the, the 09A stuff, um, that didn't really, uh, I didn't really get into that until I started looking into the uh, specific mass shooting, a particular mass shooting. Um, that's when I, um, ended up kind of, uh, informally collaborating with some other investigators who ended up being kind of not who they represented themselves to be. Um, one of those people was this woman, Jade Parker, uh, who had been studying 09A very in detail, um, with regard to mass shootings. And that's kind of what led me to all of this, uh, this insanity that we're currently in. Right. And it's crazy. So like this, there was this viral video of this guy getting shot, but there's been other people arrested recently. There's been many recent arrests. Maybe somebody can talk about this background. You wrote about it, Ken, about this guy uh, who shot his mom's boyfriend. Like, I mean, I can show a video of it here, but it was on sidebar true crime, some kind of true crime show. Maybe you can talk about that, Ken. Uh, yeah, sure. So this this happened last August where I guess it was kind of portrayed as just, you know, a white trash domestic dispute where the mom's boyfriend shot shot the, the mom's son. And it didn't go viral until January of this year. Um, so it kind of blew up. And then BX is the one that discovered that the kid who was shot had actually been in this 764 called uh, she tweeted about it uh, a couple weeks ago and she sent me some info and i managed to get in touch with the kid's biological father who both uh, confirmed that his son was in 764 and confirmed that actually the mother in that video is now uh, dead and that's where some real dark dark 
mysterious circumstances come to play. Uh, there's a, a video floating around online where Kyle purports, the son purports to find his mother dead. Uh, and he claims that it was a drug overdose, so does the father. Uh, but it really, I didn't link to the video, but it can be found. And it doesn't look like an overdose to me. Uh, the, the, ins, the, the event's still under investigation. And if you read my story, the dad did make what I would kind of characterize as a, a Freudian slip where he said, my son doesn't have anything to do with his mother's murder, uh, which is an interesting uh, use of terminology, you know, murder when, you know, he claims it's an overdose. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that explains it well or if BX wants to add anything, but it, it's a really, really bizarre series of events. Yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about how I figured out that this kid was part of 764. So uh, I just saw this viral video like everybody else and didn't think anything of it. I was like, huh, it's kind of strange, bunch of druggy looking people. And the, the son's voice is odd, right? Very distinct and drugged out kind of. Um, and the first thing I honestly was thinking was, why did the stepdad want to shoot him? <laughs> you know, I can't help it. I'm very inquisitive, right? What's the circumstances here? Maybe he did something really bad. Um, but because I think we had been uh, kind of early reporters, not necessarily reporters, but we'd been early researchers of the 764 stuff, Ken and I, since it's been reported on since, I mean, I guess probably like a year now. Um, or less, maybe, uh, since the FBI put out that bulletin. Um, and I've been seeing their stuff around Discord servers and the advocate, like child doing child advocacy stuff. People have been sending me some really gross, horrible stuff, that stuff that was beyond child exploitation content, stuff that was extremely violent um, and animal torture, animal abuse. Um, and so once the FBI released that bulletin, it really came together. We're like, oh, that's what we've been seeing. We've been seeing this. Um, and so it made a lot of sense for them to find the 098 connection to me was like, I was, my jaw was on the floor because I've already been looking into this 098 stuff for over a year at this point. And I had never seen anything like this come up. It just didn't seem like something that I would, I would attribute to them just by natural looking into it. Right. Um, and so then with the Kyle Spitz stuff, because we were, we kind of had our ear to the ground about mentions of 764, that's how I ended up seeing the victims, uh, very like, you know, 20 follower Twitter accounts that were like trying to tell everybody this guy, Kyle Spitz is a monster. He groomed me. He groomed my child. He's, you know, this, this horrible satanic pedophile. And so of course no one's listening to them because that's the problem that victims have. And that's why they need advocates in the first place is because they get really overwhelmed and they, they start screaming into the void. And I'm, I, I don't want to say they sound crazy, but like, you know, they can't really get their, um, get their facts straight, get them out there in a way that the public can digest it. Right. Because you know, they're, they're trauma, they're victims they're survivors. And so that's where I came in and I offered my help to these people. And this was like a month ago when that first viral video came out. So that's when they told me that they'd already let the police know the police were investigating and everything was kind of under control, but they were just really angry that all of like, you know, law and crime YouTube was making this kid out to be like, oh, poor guy, this poor helpless victim, right? Um, they were really upset that like this guy was getting all this viral attention. Um, and so then a couple weeks later, that's when um, one of those victims um, sent me the stuff from his telegram, which it turned out Kyle Spitz had posted all these videos um, of his mother's death in his telegram channel. And at the time when I saw these videos, I thought 
this is evidence of a murder. This is murder investigation evidence. And so I asked them, like, you know, have you sent this to the police? And they said, yeah, we've called the police. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't really trust that they've sent it to the proper authorities. So I went ahead and sent it to the authorities. And that's when um, they bizarrely told me, like, they confirmed that Melanie Spitz, the mother, was dead, but they also said it was a suicide, which was kind of weird because it was less than 48 hours after her death. So I was like, that's kind of weird. The police would tell me it was a suicide before there'd actually been any kind of formal autopsy because um, it definitely not been long enough. And uh, so, yeah, the, then, you know, I kind of brought it to Ken and we started looking into it together. And um, yeah, I guess the rest is kind of where his article starts. Right. So both the stepdad and the mom are now passed away. The stepfather who shot Witzke, the Kyle Witzke, who was just there on the screen, he was in a standoff and was shot by law enforcement. Right. So it's no, really he no. So so I think it was the dad, the mom's step, the mom's boyfriend, but stepdad. OK, whatever. Um, I think it was a mom's boyfriend and he was actually in a standoff, a SWAT standoff, and he killed himself. Killed himself. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So he's dead. And for people who are watching this on YouTube or Rockfin, you can see this PSA the FBI put out September 12, 2023. Title of it is Violent Online Groups Extort Minors to Self-Harm and Produce Child Sexual Abuse Material. They're calling it, it's a new acronym, C-S-A-M. And there's a lot of them. So it's not just Witski, this one guy who was identified, but a lot of, there's a lot of these secret telegram groups and secret online groups that these guys are operating in. Is that correct? Yeah. So they all kind of fall under the same umbrella. Um, the ones I've personally run into are 764, that cult one, Harm Nation, Leak Society, and the one that looks like hell, they actually call that hell room, hell room. And then the, um, the N and then another one is NLM, which is no lives matter. Um, and, uh, so they, it's a decentralized terror organization, right? As you know, um, there's no like ringleader figure. There's no organizational structure like you had with ISIS, which makes it difficult to kind of track and monitor, you know, it just makes everything more difficult. And so basically what this is, is a group of people who go around and they groom kids, not just to hurt themselves on camera, not just to exploit themselves, but to uh, groom others to do the same to others. So they're grooming other offenders um, and they're using this like really extremely violent, traumatic child, um, child abuse material to do it. I mean, just the worst of the worst. Um, and uh, so because of this, it's kind of kind of a viral spread, I would say, you know, um, like they're they're just growing organically and splintering off sort of like you saw Adam Waffen division, but in a much faster, more rapid uh, sense. Right. It didn't exist two years ago. It's great. And these are really, they have, a lot of these offenders have a long line of people they've abused. It's not just one. It's like, there was one guy I read about today. That's all he did. His name was Bradley Cadenhead. And mm -hmm. all he did was spend all of his time on computer terrorizing people. That was his whole job. And he got sent. He was in Texas too, and I think he got sentenced to like eighty years recently or something. And he was and only just, seventeen when the sentence wow. was handed down. Wow, that's incredible. And I think I have a picture of him. So here's Densmore. People can watch that. He was from Michigan, Kaliva. This guy was an older. I think he was like forty-seven and ex-military, but just like the, I read the complaint, it is a horror show. This guy was doing 
monstrous stuff. A lot of these guys, these are very dark stuff. Like, yeah, he, he went by Rabid, Richard Anthony Reyna, Densmore. Let me see if I can find this Caden Hen guy. There he is. This is the guy. 80-year death sentence. And it says, the evidence presented at the punishment hearing showed that the defendant possessed images of young children not only being sexually abused, but also choked, beaten, suffocated, previ previously injured. The defendant used these images to coerce others into mutilating themselves, including carving a screen name into their bodies and harming animals. He couldn't have cared less, said one investigator. He spent all his time on the computer terrorizing people. My response to the sentencing is that the evidence showed that he presents a danger to children and to the youth of the community. So that was one. And that, that's what all these other guys are doing, too, as well. Yeah. Right? And there's, you know, um, there's another article, I think, from that same outlet where they interviewed the um, the chief of police or the police officers in charge of the investigation. They asked him about the 80 year sentence because there was kind of like a people like nobody really talked about the 764 thing at the time. But people did notice that the 17 year old got 80 years. Um, but it was before they were they were really talking openly about what it was. And the police investigator actually said, um, you know, actually that the possession of child pornography was the least egregious thing that he did. That's actually like, you know, the most minor of all of his crimes. So it was like this kid was a monster. He was really bad. And it's a part of this kind of weird splintering because like the ONA kind of came out and then it when Adam Waffen and then a lot of those guys joined these other groups, Fewer Krieg, Sonnen Krieg, Rape Krieg. And those guys all, part of their abuse, they were Nazis, but they were also either had hardcore child porn or were like engaged in abusing people too. And that was kind of one of the things that differentiated them from kind of maybe earlier 09A or even kind of neo-Nazis. It's just like this involvement of child abuse is really crazy. So then it's now it's even gotten worse. So it's moved over to 764. This is a recent article I just found. This was published January 19th, 2024 from the Global Network on Extremism and Technology 764, the intersection of terrorism, violent extremism, and child sexual exploitation. So it's coming to the attention of uh, some of these other NGOs and things like that. Well, what's kind of funny about this article is I found it and I kind of posted it under one of my tweets for context so that people could read it. I think it was to Kyle uh, on, on Kyle's tweet, but then um, Kyle Serafin, the, the FBI whistleblower, had kind of like dismissed this as being, ah, I don't believe that it sounds crazy. And I was like, well, here's like an article about it. You know, here's all this stuff to verify this isn't a conspiracy. It's very real. It's unfortunate that people have automatically decided that this kind of stuff is conspiracy theory because when it's right in front of their faces now, they won't believe it. Right. Um, but I posted a link to this article and that's when the the 09A guys started to dogpile the thread. And I had probably five or six of them going back and forth, you know, talking like gothic vampires. Um, and, but, uh, you know, they're very polite. They're very respectful. And they like they seem pretty intelligent. Right. As opposed to these 764 kids who are just threatening to murder and rape your family. Um, the 09A guys were really trying to convince me that this article was fake that there was no connection between the groups, that that 09A doesn't do child sexual abuse material. But then when I would push them on it, kind of like having like an impromptu Twitter debate with these guys, right? When I pushed them on it, I would say, well, you know, um, so do you guys denounce child abuse? Like just say yes or no. Do you denounce child abuse? And they would say, well, yes, but, you know, this kind of group is always going to attract people because of the sinister attributes of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it just sounds like you don't want to say that 
it's all right with you, but it is, you know? Um, but they were, it was interesting to see them talking on the thread and kind of having this like cordial debate about the matter. It is interesting. It's interesting how they pop up pretty quick too, isn't it? Because that happens to me when I post about the ONA. So they have watchers or something like that. I mean, they say they're not a cult or anything, but people pop up real fast. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Polite. And you think that uh, Maya, actually the real kind of founder, author of the ONA corpus really showed up. I know that he showed up on my thread, so. Uh, yeah, he did. And he was he was one of the ones that was like, well, his, now his angle was very much pre-2008 when the great David Myatt ran the organization. It was much different and much more based on the sevenfold way and all of this li literature. And then post-2008 when Sutter came into picture, now it's just a big government glow up. So that's his that's his angle is that now it's all a big conspiracy and it's all, you know, federal agents and you know, so that's what he's which, trying to say. Which it could be to a certain extent, but the the ideologies out there. I've I've had other interviews where I've talked to people, and it's similar or analogous to like a software. So it goes out; it can't really be contained. And I think that was its intent: is that it's like you said, non-centralized. So people pick up on it and absorb whatever they want. But it's really happening in the real world. You can, there's a list. I have a list of all these people doing this stuff globally, not just the ONA, but this new 764. And it's like 10 or 15 people that have been arrested and tried. So this isn't a conspiracy theory at all. It's not, it's a joke. And then Ken's written about it, right, Ken? Yeah, that's right. And uh, I've heard you mention that, you know, 764 wasn't active when you published your book in 2021. And yeah, that may be the case, but one of the interesting things is, according to the Justice Department, they were first, they received an anonymous tip about 764 in October 2021, and that's supposedly how they discovered the, the whole network. I, I kind of would take that with a grain of salt, but so 764 was active at some point in, in 2021. And the only reason we're hearing this now is because uh, they kept the investigation uh, from the public for about two years until they put out the bulletin in September 2023, which raises all kinds of troubling questions with me about why they seem to be slow walking this investigation, why they're letting more people be uh, victimized, and wh yeah, why they kind of kept the existence of 764 from the public for uh, about two years. Yeah. And I've had the opportunity to kind of ask uh, these questions. Right. And basically the response I get is that, you know, man, the FBI is not as put together as you would think. Um, it's actually, you know, they're underfunded, especially in the crimes against children um, divisions. Right. Their money is elsewhere um, when it probably should majority like be here at this point. Right. But I think that, um, you know, I think that it might be just like a lack of funding and a lack of, uh, you know, cohesive um, engagement between departments and divisions that need to work together, because this is really a counterterrorism um, operation, which, you know, when you're looking at the scope of counterterrorism, you're looking at, you know, there's still ISIS, right? There, there's um, Hamas and there's all kinds of other really big name terror organizations that have taken over the news and that everyone's paying attention to. Um, and these little fringe, and, you know, of course, there's those, those pesky right-wing domestic terrorists from the Capitol, right? Um, super dangerous folks, you know, grandmas and whatnot. Um, 
being super sarcastic there, by the way, couldn't tell, but you know, the, um, you know, the, these other smaller groups, it's almost like they're not allocating any resources from their counterterrorism division to investigating this. And obviously they should. I think that now we're starting to see a lot of um, more, uh, more indictments and more arrests. And I think we're going to see a waterfall um, of arrests here in the next few months. So I guess maybe they were really just trying to get in there and see what they were looking at and try to you know, figure out the scope of the thing. I'm sure they were planting agents in chat rooms and stuff, too, and, you know, playing the long game, trying to, you know. But to Ken's point, that raises always raises a question to me is like that's always been a criticism I have of the FBI um, is that they're when they're doing these operations, these, you know, these plants and informants and stuff. How many kids and how many people are being victimized in the interim? And is that actually like do the means justify the ends? Because in my, in my opinion, no. The means can never justify the ends when you have children being sexually exploited. Um, yeah. And since BX mentions January 6th, I will, I have to point out that there was an FBI whistleblower. Uh, Stephen Friend came out a year ago and said that he was on these child porn CSAM cases up until January 6th. And he and a, and a bunch of other agents were pulled off those cases to be assigned to, you know, the Capitol Hill protest to hunt down protesters, essentially. And there was even a recent uh, case where they arrested a pedophile. And in the charging documents, it said, well, we found evidence of his pedophilia in like uh, December 2020. But then January 6th happened and we paused the investigation and they only arrested him a couple months ago. So again, they how many more people were invested or were victimized due to the FBI's, you know, politicized priorities. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I really feel like, um, and this is also something that's kind of a related invest. I mean, it's all kind of related to the same, all the investigations that I've done have kind of coalesced and like, you know, uh, ended up being very related, but the the countering violent extremism community, which isn't counterterrorism law enforcement, but they work alongside law enforcement um, as usually like as NGOs, as threat assessors, and they have these networks of people who help law enforcement kind of do this stuff. And it's all, in my opinion, very disorganized, and it's all, in my opinion, very corruptible and very political. Um, and so rather than actually catching the mass shooter who's screaming about how he's about to commit a mass shooting on Twitter, I actually ended up calling the Fusion Center about one of those people the other um, like maybe three weeks ago. And I got a call back from the university police department and they said, thank you for your tip. We've um, secured the campus and taken the victim to safety and we're dealing with the kid now. And I'm like, why did I just have to randomly random nobody online have to be responsible for that? Where are the agents who are monitoring the social media landscape and why aren't they catching things like that? The next mass shooter is what that is, you know? Um, and so, you know, in my opinion, what I've seen is that these NGOs, they really only focus on the things that they can politicize that gets them to their political end goal. And they're working on um, right wing domestic right wing terrorists, right wing extremists being their definition of that is just people who don't like the government. People who don't like the government are considered anti government extremists to the government, um, which is scary. And um you know, I have a lot to say about that. It's kind of outside the scope of like, you know, but the McCain Institute and how all that DHS manages those programs is part of the reason why those resources aren't where they need to be. 
Right. No, I have I have something to say about that too, because when I was researching the 09A, I found a lot of these kind of anti hate or whatever anti far right were really political organizations. Like they wouldn't help me for anything, <laughs> you know. Like I I could I could just had to do my own research. But like hope not hate in the UK. I just mm -hmm. was like, this is I'm underwhelmed by them. I, I think they have a good purpose, like they're anti uh far right, but they it's a political organization. There's no mm -hmm. question about it. Independents like me, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't get any help from them. But so I think there was a lot of that out there. It's all politicized. The FBI is highly politicized. I mean, if anything, they've tried to hinder me um, because I've been in the same situation where I've been doing like parallel research to these guys, right? Um, and when you reach out to them, ask them questions, they're definitely not helpful. Um, and in fact, some of them have even told me things that ended up to later not be true. Uh <laughs> right, but don't you think it's like the Whitmer thing where it's all kind of a hoax? Like I've I've interviewed Radix Verum about that, and it was all put together by the FBI. So it, it helps bolster like the, the presence of the far right or this extremism validates the you know the kind of resources or whatever they're trying to do to kind of you know, stop the the certain elements of the right to maybe not oh, these things. Yeah. And in some ways it really becomes like a Hegelian dialectic too, where they go, okay, you know what we need to do? Ramp up the number of, of you know, ramp up the dialogue around a specific boogeyman so that people are really scared. And this justifies us getting more counterterrorism funding to study them and make reports and research their chat rooms and stuff. Well, like look around and look at the last 10 years and ask, like, have we actually reduced terrorism? Have we, have we actually reduced terrorism? Like, what are you actually doing here? You know, are there any measurable goals that DHS is, working towards to improve our country, right? Big picture stuff. And as far as I can see, the answer to that is no. And you guys have looked into the Jade Parker. Jade Parker was this woman who was in, was researching J6, right? And she disappeared. Can you guys yeah. talk about that? So I found her on accident. Um, I have a, if you go to my Twitter, I don't know if you've seen, watched the video, um, William, but there's, there's a video on, on my pin tweet. It's pretty good. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's my video obviously, but like, you know, I mean, I think that it explains how I found her and, um, you know, what, what the circumstances around that were. But again, that's when I was researching this mass shooting. Um, and that's when I started to, you know, collaborate with a couple other people who were looking at the same things. And they had also seen these accelerationist connections and they had also, and you know, they ended up being part of the CVE community. Um, and I didn't know it at the time cause I didn't even know what that was at the time. But yeah, you know, they started to to link. Um, that's when, you know, the 09A stuff started to link. And I was like, this is strange. I would have never suspected that this would be where I ended up in a mass shooting investigation, right? Um, and that's kind of where I found Jade. Uh, she, she was just referenced by her first name, um, I guess. But then I found, I ended up finding her and her uh, dead man switch uh, Google document that she put online before she deleted everything and vanished. And she was very convinced that the 09A was not only behind most of these uh, attacks, but also potentially had something to do with the January 6th um, riot. Wow. And you wrote about that too, Ken. Can you kind of expand on that or add to that? Uh, yeah. In terms of uh, January 6th, it's hard to tell what, what she knows about that. She went on the podcast of a, a guy named Jack Murphy, who's like, I guess, a former 
spook in his own right. And it was it's a pretty interesting podcast. I'd recommend everybody check it out. It runs about three hours, and she kind of tells her whole story about how she tried to warn uh, top government officials about the accelerationist threat. She was ignored. Then January 6th happens, and now everybody's kind of jumping on the bandwagon too too late, uh, too little too late. Uh, and she makes a couple references to where she says she believes that accelerationists exploited the January 6th crowd, but uh, the conversation shifts before she could get into specifics. I, I'd certainly like to know what she knows or what she thinks she knows about that. Uh, I think uh, the bigger point to know about Parker, though, is her, she was kind of the leading researcher on accelerationism, and she put forth the theory that there are these people, they're, they're non-ideological, and they will try to instigate, uh, they'll try to infiltrate any group and instigate them to violence, whether it's a left-wing group, a right-wing group, uh, you know, radical Muslim terrorists, they might try to infiltrate that and edge them to do the terrorism. And Parker claims that uh, other researchers kind of stole her work and, and bastardized it to claim that, uh, you know, the, the right-wing extremists are using accelerationist tactics to provoke violence in the United States, which is a complete, you know, opposite of what she says. She's saying accelerationists are dividing the country and people have interpreted her work or misinterpreted it to say that uh, it's just the right wing using accelerationist tactics. So I'm sure she's pretty dismayed at that development, how even this, uh, this research is being politicized. Yeah. And if I could add some nuance to that. So, you know, it really, when you read her, you know, when you really kind of see what, what was going on in her life, see what was happening around the, the um, landscape of accelerationism, you read all of her tweets, you can really see that she was screaming about exactly what Kim just said. And um, she was angry that her colleagues had stolen her work and reframed it as a white supremacy thing. Not only did they do that, but they also then ousted her from the entire community, basically um, went on an organized harassment campaign, discredited her, refused to let anybody work with her and left her high and dry. So they not only, not only did they steal her research, but they said, uh, that's, uh, we need to politicize this and make it, and twist the narrative into something different, go away. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing I would say about uh, what she had said in her document is that um, she was really back and forth about whether this was foreign or domestic. Um, at first, she really did attribute a lot of it to Russia, uh, to Alexander Dugan, um, to third positionism. But uh, she kind of softened on that later on. I'm not sure why. If the, she realized that there were multiple actors, it would be my guess. Um, I can say that as of last week, some of the research we've done into 764 and the propaganda that they're spreading, we found this propaganda that they were pushing in the chat rooms that was like long-winded diatribes about why you should commit a school shooting, basically, right? Exactly what Jade is talking about here. The rhetoric they're using, here's why you shouldn't have you know, sympathy or remorse. Here's why it, it's the right thing to do. It'll make you a martyr, that kind of stuff. But the misspellings and the, the strange uh, grammar that was used was very obviously not English speaker writing this material. And we've seen this over and over and over again, that a lot of their like more extreme propaganda does seem quite foreign, possibly, you know, if I had to guess, it would be that Eastern European kind of 
uh, neo-Nazi stuff, um, like you saw with the Fuhrer Krieg and all of those. Interesting. So when did she disappear? I mean, when was the last time somebody heard from Jade Parker? She stopped tweeting in July of 2022, which was right after the Highland Park mass shooting, which is the one that we were all researching. Um, now, when I talked to Nama, it was in August or September of 2022, and she was referring to Jade as if she were a live living human being who she was talking with. Uh, so, you know, I think that she disappeared, but I, I don't think that she's harmed. I think that she's uh, intentionally, I think she intentionally went dark. And I don't know why, but I think there was probably a lot of, um, a lot of turmoil in her life related to the community, you know, misappropriating her work and ousting her. It must have been difficult. Were you able to find her research or were you able to do it independently to link the 09A to Charlottesville? That's an interesting one. I'll let Ken talk about it, though. Oh, I actually made that connection through your book, William. Uh, the uh, I think your book goes into a guy named Shandon Simpson, who yeah. was a uh, in the National Guard. He marched at Charlottesville, two thousand seventeen. Unite the right, and it turns out he was in an O nine A affiliated chat room. I, I think he might have been in Rape and Waffen as well, or that might've been the chat group referred to in your book. Uh, and I guess the interesting thing about that is he wasn't outed as 09A until 2020. So we were kind of in the dark about, you know, an 09A connection to Charlottesville for three to four years after the fact. Right. So yeah, some of those guys are probably 09A or have some 09A affiliation. And you guys kind of keyed into the whole, I listened to your shows. By the way, they did two excellent shows. People can check them out on Tower Gang Jose with Jose Gallison, G-A-L-I-S-O-N. So that's I listened to the, both of those yesterday. But you guys mentioned that you were aware of kind of the split between the ONA-influenced Adam Waffen members and then the kind of traditional Christian right white supremacist Adam Waffen members, right? So, yeah, it, I, I find that really interesting because, like I mentioned, I've been reading, writing, studying the kind of far right, if you want to call it patriot or neo Nazi movement in America. And in, in the 80s, it was mostly Christian nationalists. And then there was this group called the Order that formed, and they were, you know, robbing banks to fund right wing terrorism in the 80s. And a lot of those guys were pagans and like into Odinism. And that drove some of the Christians out at the time of the movement. And so there was kind of a divide taking place then. Uh, and then I guess paganism and in the far right movement must have been normalized at some point because, you know, the friction wasn't as much as, as far as I can tell in the early 2000s. But then, uh, for my Fed Files series gets into this. There's a group called the National Socialist Movement, which was co-founded by an FBI informant and somebody who was married to an avowed Satanist who started the Joy of Satan Ministries, which I think was a, an offshoot of a group that Anton LaVey created, by the way. Uh, but when this uh, news broke in the mid-2000s that the NSM was infiltrated by Satanists, that caused a huge rift, and a lot of them left the group. Uh, Bill White, the source of my Fed Files series, he started another, uh, you know, strictly pagan or Aryan group uh, to kind of get away from the Satanists. 
So I just, yeah, I found that interesting that it also happened with the Adam often where there was a split between the Christians and some of the pagans and, and the Satanists. That seems to be a, a common theme. And I don't know if, I guess, if you, the conspiratorial side of me could think that that's a FBI tactic to uh, disrupt a terrorist group by injecting Satanists into the group. Or it could also be a way to radicalize a group by, you know, if you turn it Satanist, then that group's only going to attract, you know, I'd argue, you know, more sociopathic people. Yeah, I would say it's a definitely a combination of those two things. And, you know, this and not just the FBI, but also intelligence uh, agencies have also used Satanism like several times. Um, in history, right? If you go back to like Aleister Crowley, I don't know if you've read this book called um, Secret Agent 666, but they basically alleged that he was um, an MI6 agent and an agent for the CIA that infiltrated all kinds of various subversive movements at the time. And the manner in which he did it is almost identical to what Ken is talking about with um, inserting it into the right wing and having them kind of a new leader has emerged of a, a split, you know, a related faction. And then those factions start to war with each other. Um, one of them is Satanist and one of them. So I don't know. It is, it is almost like Ken said, like a, a way to just sensationalize the group and um, discredit it. Right. I've had that. I've had him on as a guest. The author is Spence. So he's been on my show twice. I've talked about that. I referenced secret agent 666 in my book, Prophet of Evil about Crowley, who definitely infiltrated the kind of pro-German uh, movement here in the United States. I mean, I think that's established fact. It was an asset his whole life. Like, I think he was always kind of reporting back to base. Uh, but yeah, so it's probably happening now here. I wouldn't be surprised at all. The, uh, But still, the I mean, one of the odd things is that these are having real effects. And it's the same kind of inquiry or analysis of the O9A and a lot of these other groups, how much of these are like Gladio type things, how much of the Gladio influence is there, how much are they, you know, facilitating these crimes to make change and then have the, you know, like the dialectic, you know, a response to these actions. Like this is all, it's still open question. I mean, you can see that in uh, the OKC bombing and stuff like that too. Like, was that intended to have a, the the appropriate backlash against the far right? No, some people have said that. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but we are at the 42 minute mark. I know you have to go, uh, BX. Maybe you could kind of tell people where you're up to, where they can find your work, and kind of <laughs> if they want to yeah. reach out to you. Sure. And there's not, there's not a huge rush. Um, if you want to answer, if the audience has some questions, I could say a, a few minutes later, but, um, okay. uh, yeah. So, uh, on Twitter slash X it's BX underscore on underscore X and I'll send you my, my link, but in the bios, like all the rest of my links, um, if you're not using X or Twitter, um, I'm also on rumble BX on rumble, and I don't put out a whole lot because my stuff is like really, my, my videos are like really kind of elaborate. They take a while to do. So they're pretty well thought out. Um, the pinned tweet on my, on my Twitter X page is the, um, the entire story behind how I found Jade Parker, the mass shootings, the connection with the incel forum, which we didn't talk about here, but it's very, very interesting to actually see one of these groups where this is happening and have the opportunity to observe it. Um, which is what I believe Jade Parker was doing when she was in there collaborating with the NGOs. 
Um, and so that, that video it's on my, um, on my Twitter pin tweet and on my rumble page. And you kind of make your own long form videos too, like informational research videos, correct? Yeah, they're long. I mean, you know, it's 20 minutes. I mean, so it's not super long, but they're, they're more informational. Yeah. They take, they take longer to produce. So there's not very many of them, but they're worth watching. And then Ken, you also, I mean, you put out a lot of material. You're putting out article after article every day, not just on these kind of subjects. Maybe you can tell people where to find your work and what else you're working on. Uh, yeah. So you could primarily find me at headlineusa.com. And uh, like William mentioned, I do about three to five articles a day. And then I try to work on this, uh, this bigger, I'd argue more important stuff on the side in my free time uh, when, when I can. I uh, also work, uh, write for the Libertarian Institute. You can find me on Twitter, JD underscore cashless. And I'm still working on a story that relates to 09A and Joshua Caleb Sutter. I, I'm aiming to tie PatCon all the way to Charlottesville. And uh, I could talk a little bit about that now if you'd like. Yeah, please do. Please uh, yeah, so on that, yeah. Pretty much, uh, if, if you're familiar with the FBI's PatCon operation, which was kind of a response to the far right wing group, uh, the order, which is, you know, committing all these bank robberies in the eighties. And there was they a shot Allen Berg too, right? In, in that's Allen right. Berg. They assassinated a Jewish radio host. And there was a fear in the nineties that this group was going to uh, reform. And in fact, it kind of did. The Aryan Republican army was a, a very similar group and, you know, according to multiple sources, including a, a whistleblower from PatCon, uh, the, the, the FBI informants were actually encouraging the Aryan uh, right-wing extremists to form another order. Uh, so again, I think it might have been a provocation operation. Uh, in any event, the uh, its center of PatCon was the group called the Aryan Nations, which the order was an offshoot of the Aryan Nations. And a lot of those guys got taken out in the 90s. Uh, but that left a few leaders in the late 90s and the early 2000s, namely August Christ and Morris Goulet. And Joshua Caleb Sutter, who was the FBI informant in charge of the local 09A group in the U.S., he actually helped take down both Morris Goulet and August Christ. So it's my contention that Sutter basically picked up where Pat Conn left off. And I've got some a bunch of documents from Bill White about how Sutter and August Christ formed a fake Aryan Nations motorcycle club uh, in the mid-2000s to entrap outlaw bikers and other Aryans. And uh, this kind of ties into Sutter's bizarre infiltration of pro-North Korean groups and uh, and things like that, which I'm sure you, you've heard of. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to lay this all out in, in a pretty monster story and hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Igor, Sar Igor Sarsky is listening to this show right now. He's the one who told me about the ONA initially. And it's basically the, gen the seed of my book, Global Death Cult, was him because once I figured it out, I was like, oh man, I got to research this. But he's saying Sutter's working for the 764 right now. You'll have to send me that information or send to all yeah, three of us. That's that I'd be very interested to see that information. He's actually. a great contact for both of you too. So he's got he's he's got a lot of research. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean the allegations about Suter or Sutter 
go way back to 2004 or five, is my understanding. So 20 years, there were rumors in these white nationalist forums or something like that. There was one guy, Stryker. I can't, I can't remember his real name, but people were always saying that Sutter was sus, sus within the movement. And then it was proven in, the, I think it was the, oh, geez, which case was it? Caleb it Cole. Was Caleb, Caleb, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and a split hair is just to pump up my own work. Uh, so Bill White, the source of my Fed Files series, is actually the first person to accuse Sutter of being an FBI informant in court documents in 2016. And Bill White did so. He w- he moved to unseal some of Sutter's uh, records for Bill White's own case that he was pursuing. And so that was actually proven by Bill White by like 2017 or 18, but nobody was looking at Bill White's court filings at the time. And so I think Ollie Winston broke the story in 2021 about Sutter officially being outed as an informant in the Caleb Cole case. But in fact, Bill White called it years before that. And uh, I'm just mentioning that because my Fed file series is largely based on Bill White's court filings, and people might ask, well, why is Ken taking the word of a neo-Nazi prison inmate? Uh, but first of all, he's filing FBI memos and other records to support his allegations. But second of all, Bill White has a very good track record. He was the first to officially uh, you know, identify Sutter as a Fed. Interesting. So it goes back farther. I wasn't oh, yeah. aware. I knew that there were rumblings about Sutter going back decades, but Ali Winston, for people who don't know, writes a lot about the far right for the New York Times. You can also uh, Mac Lemoreau. He has a longer French last name. He writes about the far right for Vice. Daniel D. Simone, who I quoted in my book BBC, and then Ken Silva, who's writing, doing a lot of great writing, recent writing for Headline USA. I think this article is just like one week ago, right here, yeah. where these kind of dark characters are out there. People really have to be aware. I got a question that came in for both of you from Red Pilled Rants. He said, how do you find the courage and the energy to keep going with your investigations? What do you guys want to answer that? I mean, I keep telling myself I'm going to retire and like stop this madness, but then something new happens and I just can't like stop myself from going back in because it's just my own curiosity, I guess. And, um, a lot of times the people who contact me are victims and I have a really hard time saying no to like helping victims out because, you know, I've dealt with a lot of, um, you know, parents of kids and I've seen a lot of, so I've seen a lot from the perspective of the victims and that definitely drives me to keep going because it's definitely a a horrifying perspective to, um, for someone to share with you and it definitely kind of changes the game because it's easy to depersonalize this and look at it as like an intriguing true crime kind of, you know, situation. But when you really start to see like these victims aren't in the past they're now in the future, there's going to be more. And um, so I think that that kind of, kind of compels me to keep going. Yeah. And I guess for my part, I've been reporting on seven, six, four, because nobody else is. And I mean, BX is getting (laughs) like world-class information. She's kind of just serving it up to me on a silver platter and giving me some pretty good scoops. And yeah, if anybody else wants to take up this bead, it's not, I'm not really a fan of it. I'm like, I got interested in this, this kind of strain of bizarre cases due to the Oklahoma city bombing. 
and as dark of a story as OKC is, it's it, it's like it's a very American story. It's a very human story, and there's a lot of interesting threads that could make like a good uh, seven season TV show. Like I I, I love oh, reading and writing about OKC. I would do it for free even if this wasn't my job. The seven six four stuff, not so much. I leave that for the birds. I wish, but. Um, you know, it's not really blown up on the national scene yet. And I kind of feel uh, some kind of ethical obligation to keep this story alive until it actually gets the attention that it deserves. Yeah, I can't believe that this hasn't uh, ballooned into something bigger, especially given how sensational it all is, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that, that's definitely been interesting. And, and um you know, Ken's been really helpful in getting this information. I think early on, I gave him a lot of stuff because I was scared to come out about it, you know. And so having somebody else there with me, so it wasn't just me, was uh, was very helpful. But yeah, I mean, and I do this. I mean, I this isn't actually my job at all. Um, I'm just crazy or something. I don't <laughs> know. I sell art. You can go find my Etsy um, page where I do that. To you guys are doing important work because these people are young. They're vulnerable. There's the abuse. Is horrific. It involves dead animals and scarification and just like horrible stuff. So the psycho psychological toll these monsters are putting on innocent people, vulnerable people usually, uh, is immense. So it's glad that they're being exposed and that the cops are at least are arresting some of them. What's scary is the ones that are out there and haven't been caught. But uh, yeah, I felt like that's kind of like why I went into the ONA research. Is there was a spate of deaths. There was. It's got Giampa who killed his girlfriend's parents. There was the death of a guy in Orange County by Woodard. There was a William Von Nudigen stamp stabbed some random dude in front of a mosque and a few other deaths that was like these. Oh, and really the deaths of some of the earliest uh, members of Adamwaff. And there were two guys. They were really sad cases. Their names were Onishuk and Himmelman. And they were Nazis. Like you're not supposed to have sympathy for these guys. They were both like on the spectrum. One guy was getting electrical shock therapy, like really in bad shape, and then got caught up in Adam Waffen. And some other crazy guy killed him with an AK-47. And for people who don't know or maybe missed one of my shows, the original founder, uh, Russell, was arrested last year with his girlfriend, Clendon, and they were going to blow up the electrical power grid or the planning to do it through, I think, what they thought was a encrypted forum but they were planning to blow up the power grid of baltimore which is just totally crazy at least they were tinkering and thinking about it so these have real world effects so put bring it to light even though it's super dark i think it's super important so i commend both of you for doing this work and i'll put links to your uh social media in the show notes and also kind of where you write as well ken but thank you very much for your time so people check out their work and check out the links thank you so much Thank yeah, you. Thanks again. All right, take care. See you there.